All right. Well, if you can grab your Bibles now, open them up to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation 21, and we'll get back into what we've been studying. Oh, what a journey this has been in our studies here, uh, being able to go through this book. And look, we're in chapter 21, and I know I've been saying this. We have one more chapter to go in this whole study we've done, but we are taking our time in this chapter, so sorry about that. Uh, But, you know, I I don't know. The Lord's been really putting on my heart to go more in-depth through this study, and I hope that's been... uh, speaking to your hearts too. So Revelation 21. Pray with me one more time. Lord, thank you for this morning and thank you for you being here. Thank you for Lena and Naoko and and the opportunity to love on them and pray for them. Thank you for your love. You're loving on us right now. Lord, wherever we are in our walk with you, wherever we are in our lives, Lord, I pray that your love would pour forth through your spirit, through your word. And that today we would be encouraged, given hope, healed and freed, Lord. And I ask God that you would touch this time, Lord. Bless your word. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I came across this poem um, as if they wrote it as if someone had gone to heaven. And let me go ahead and share this poem. I was shocked, confused, bewildered as I entered heaven's door. Not by the beauty of it all, nor by the lights or its decor. But it was the folks in heaven who made me sputter and gasp. The thieves, the liars, the sinners, the alcoholics, and the trash. There stood the kid from seventh grade who swiped my lunch money twice. Next to him was my old neighbor who never said anything nice. Herb who I always thought was rotting away in hell, was sitting pretty on cloud nine, looking incredibly well. (laughs) I nudged Jesus, what's the deal? I would love to hear your take. How'd all these sinners get up here? God must have made a mistake. And why? Everyone's so quiet, so somber. Give me a clue. Hush, my child. Jesus said, they're all in shock at the thought of seeing you. (laughs) I like that one there. What a funny poem. But you know what? It brings to our mind that no one really deserves to be in heaven, right? No one deserves to be there. It's all by the work of Christ, right? It's all by grace. We are saved by grace through faith, right? Ephesians 2.9. Nothing we've done, nothing we, 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 we did not do, and not, none of that, right? Salvation, heaven first, eternal life. It is what? Ephesians 2.89 says, a gift of God. How's that? By believing our faith in what Christ did on the cross, by receiving that into our, our lives. So we understand none of us deserve to be there. It's our faith in Christ. And because of that faith, we get to be somewhere we don't deserve. We get to be at a place that's awaiting for us. Now that's what we're going to be looking at here in Revelation uh, chapter 21. As we return here, we're going to find some more things that none of us deserve as we've been getting this glimpse of heaven. So today, our message is titled, For Those Going to Heaven. 
We're going to see some things that are waiting for those going to heaven. That's our title. We're going to be covering Revelation chapter 21 from verse 6 through 8 this morning. And with that, each verse I have a heading in our outline. Number one is the final destination. Number two in our outline, the family inheritance. And number three, we're going to see something I believe God inserted in here in all this talk of heaven, the faithful warning. So that's our outline, the final destination, the family inheritance, the faithful warning, and our title once again for those going to heaven. Now let's take a look at number one, the final destination. Here, if you're taking notes, we're going to cover verse six here. Verse six here, the final destination. Now take a look with me now, verse six. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. So we'll stop here. Now, as we begin here in our passage, John writes down what he heard next. And so he says, and he said to me, he here is Jesus Christ. If you remember last week, we ended in verse 5, and we saw that he was the one, in verse 5, seated on the throne. That's God. And we, we're, we're, it's good. this verse is going to open up to us that it is Jesus Christ. So remember, he's the one sitting on the throne. And we saw in this last, what, three weeks in our series, yeah, of the first five verses, this, this glimpse of heaven, a sneak peek into forever was our title. And so we're, we're, we're getting this, this view of heaven throughout this passage and in this chapter as we, we go on. So last week we saw Jesus in verse 5 reassuring and confirming that what you're seeing and what he's talking about is trustworthy and true. That the old earth and the old universe is gone. And God is creating this absolutely brand new thing, right? This total new eternal realm we talked about in the past few weeks. We ended last week with these two things, that that there's a whole new existence for believers, and it will absolutely be here for believers. So Jesus now goes on here, and he's going to be talking about this new realm. And what he says in verse 6 Jesus said to me, John is the me writing there. Jesus says first, it is done. Now, in the Greek, the words speak of something coming to its completed end. That's that's really how the original phrase is used. So it's coming to this completed end. So the idea here is that Jesus officially declares declares this new existence, this new realm, this, this heaven now. This new eternal realm is now finished and ready to be lived in. That's the idea. So it is done. It's done. It's pow. Here we, here we go now. That's the idea. You know what I think about when God finished creation? And in Genesis 2, about when God created, right? This world we live in today. It was brand new. It was just brought into existence. And God in Genesis 2 is saying, it was done. It's finished. It's completed. Or remember when Jesus declared on the cross and he said, it is finished in John 19.30. It meant it was completed. What was completed? The work was done. The atonement that had been paid for. And Jesus dying on the cross and now salvation can come 
to everyone who come to faith in him. It's come into existence. So in Genesis, it was like, oh, this whole new world that we live in now has come into existence. Uh, and, and when Jesus died on the cross and said, it is finished, that salvation can be received. It's now come into existence that people can go to heaven when they put their faith in Christ. And so here, Jesus, he says, it is done. Wow. The new heaven is finished and ready to be lived in. And then who is this declaring this? Well, we see next in verse 6, I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Right? The Alpha and Omega in the Greek alphabet is the first letter, and it's the last letter in the Greek alphabet. So it's like Jesus saying, I am the A to Z. In other words, it means Jesus, he, he knows all, I mean, he holds all truth and knowledge and wisdom. He, he, he has everything, anything the letters can put together to bring, communicate truth. That's Jesus. He holds all that wisdom and knowledge. And you know, I want to throw this out to you. And knowing all this, God, in relation to this whole new earth, universe, eternal realm, God has planned all of this. And then he says, he also says that he is the beginning and the end. In other words, he was there at the beginning and he's still at, there at the end. It means the Lord Jesus is the eternal one. So what he started at the beginning, he's finishing at the end. He's the eternal God. So the idea is God is the one who planned all of this. He, he put it together. He's, he's the A-A-O, yeah, from the A, from the Alpha to Omega. God is the one who planned all of this from eternity past and is now here for those, you know what, who choose to believe. There's a beautiful passage in 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, and Peter talks about the precious blood of Christ has ransomed us. But then he says this. Listen to this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 20. And this is the NLT version. It says, God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. But now in these last days, he, that's Jesus, has been revealed for your sake. Now the NLT puts in long before the world began. But I think about the old King James, right? Before the foundation of the world. Jesus had this all planned out, your salvation, for him to go and die on the cross and rise again, for you to come to Christ and be saved and have eternal life. That's been planned from way past. But get this, what I'm including here, and what I believe Jesus is including here, is God's grace started way in the eternity past, in this plan of salvation that started back there and went through the ages in history with him, dying on a, coming to this earth, dying on a cross, rising again, and then having heaven for people. It ends up in this final heaven as the goal. So this is the whole complete picture here of what God has planned, what Jesus has done, what Jesus had made available and, and, and the ability to even come to past is for you to come to Jesus, be saved, and to live in this place, this new heaven, this eternal realm. So Jesus is announcing here, and this is our first point, the whole plan of salvation is now complete as believers have 
reach the final destination. That's it, the final destination. This, this is what he's presenting here. This is it, this final destination. This is it, this new heaven that we've been talking about the past three weeks. That's the whole plan. Isn't that great to know? That what we're looking at, you know what? There's more. What we're seeing here, that more than what we can even imagine in our lives, that's what God is trying to show us. I mean, next time we're going to get into a a real uh, close look at the new Jerusalem, the heaven that we talked about earlier in this chapter. But God's grace started back then to reach out to us. And in Jesus, at this point we're reading, believers reach this final destination. You know, a few months ago, I thought I had eaten the last of... Have you guys ever had those um, uh, rice, kind of rice crackers, kind of sweet from uh, Costco? They're more like a cylinder, you know, round and long. They're, oh no, right? I mean, oh, I'm glad there's two in one package, you know, but they're so good, yeah. And so I ate the, the I, I thought, actually, I ate the last one, and I kind of savored it, thinking, oh, this is the last one, and I ate it. But then a week or so later, Kristen's like, she happened to tell me, what, there's a whole new package in the back over there. I go, what, what, all this time? All this time, I was, after I ate the last one, I was, there was more? I could have been eating more of those things, you know, kind of, kind of thing, you know. You know, what I was thinking was, we, listen, we can get caught up in our struggles and our battles here. And, you know, praise God that he gets you through, yeah. And, and we do our best in faith to trudge, yeah, I call it trudging through the mud of this world to keep going and going. And we're trying to hold on in faith, yeah. But sometimes we get so like caught up in, in these struggles and battles, we forget what's coming, yeah? What's coming in the future. And you know those moments in your struggles when Jesus meets you, or we're in church, or worshiping, oh, it's a little oasis here to be with the Lord, right? And then you go, oh, I got to go back into my life, into the world. We leave church, and, and we, just, we just keep going, right? But don't forget that there's more to come. This isn't it. This isn't like, well, this is what it is to be this Christian on this, in this world. Yeah, I know Jesus is coming and all that. But think about this final destination. You know, that little touches of Jesus that you get here right now, there's going to be more. There's more. There's more. Matter of fact, you know, all of this world is going to be gone and there's going to be much, much more. And it's going to be much better. So understand, this is not the end. This is not like how it's going to go on. This is not how Christian life is going to be. Think about it this way. You are still on a journey. A journey. You're still on a journey. Yeah? You're on a journey. So don't get lost into just what this is. I don't know how where that came from. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Where did that come from? It's on a journey. God cares you. <laughs> but understand, there's more to come. Yeah, The best is yet to come. You know that saying, right? Well, one more thing here. 
in verse 5, I'm sorry, verse 6, he says, To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. So this final destination is for the thirsty. Who's the thirsty? The ones who thirst for God. The ones who thirst to be with God. Or should I say it this way? The ones who thirst to be right with God. Blessed are those who thirst after righteousness. I think God's put that in all of us, in every human being, that we need to be right with God. And so for those who have thirst for God and come to Jesus Christ, Jesus says, for those going to heaven, he gives the water of life. He says, from the spring of the water of life. What is that? That's eternal life. This is this heaven. This is what we're thirsting for, this this place with God that we've been talking about, to be with God, to have fellowship with God, to, to be righteous enough to live in heaven with God. So Jesus promises to give those who have been passionately seeking this eternal life with God that their thirst will finally be totally satisfied. How long? How, how we long for that day, don't we? How and I, for me in worship, I'm like, oh, I can't wait, Lord. Yeah, holy, 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 to be worshiping with the angels, to feel His presence so strong because He is right there, to be with the one I love so much. You know, it's interesting. Um, as we're talking about heaven is like where the presence of God is. You know, in the New Testament, the living water is spoken of as the Holy Spirit. It's also spoken of as eternal life as we're interpreting here. But it's spoken of as the Holy Spirit, which is what? The presence of God living inside of us. Well, in heaven, we're going to be living in the presence of God. Remember how the Samaritan woman uh, told was with Jesus in John 14, and Jesus told her, you know, the water that he gives, you'll never thirst, in verse 14 there. And as beings were created, right, we talk about that, to have fellowship with God, to be right with God, so we can have that presence of God in our life. So Jesus is saying that this salvation, this final uh, destination. All of what you've been saved for is reaching this point where that longing to be with God, the presence of God, the thirst of your soul will become this reality. That's what he's talking about. And then he says one more thing in, in verse 5 at the end. Verse 6, I'm sorry, I keep saying it. I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. That means it's free. It's given for free. Jesus already paid that payment that was owed, for that payment for our sins, and now we can freely drink. The idea is everything you have in heaven, especially being able to be there in the presence of God, it's all been paid for. It costs you nothing. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our God. There's that word again. Free gift. A gift. So, there's a second thing to see here. Jesus announces this final destination is where believers freely enjoy being in the presence of God forever. And again, I love that 
thought. We get to be with God. And, and it's not like, you know, you got to belong to Costco to be able to get in kind of thing. Yeah, You got to pay, you know, the yearly fee and then you get all the benefits. No, it's free. Jesus paid for it. It's a free gift. As you put your faith in Christ, you receive this and you get to enjoy that presence with God forever. We get to just be with that. You know, I was thinking about how Chris and I, we were joking the other night that um, we had to run downtown and um, uh, get some things and, and we decided, well, let, let, let's, let's go Taco Bell and get that crunch wrap. Have you guys seen that? That's pretty oh no, it's pretty good. But um, uh, we thought, oh, let's let's get you know crunch wrap and and then go Costco. And then we were joking, oh yeah, what a great date night. Yeah, we'll go Taco Bell and and Costco and and it just when we were doing some remodel on the house, we we were like going Home Depot almost every night. And it's like, oh. Oh, what a great date night. And we go like um, Panda and get a bowl and then sit in a parking lot and go, Honey, don't you like our date night? We're here in Home Depot parking lot, you know, kind of thing. But, but you know what? No matter where we went or what store, where we go to eat, you, you know what the best part is we're together. And we got to enjoy the, the presence of each other, no matter what that was. And that's sort of what, like, Jesus is bringing to us that thought that in this point of the history of our lives, we'll finally come to what we've always wanted to be with God, to live in his presence, just, just to be with him, to, to, to just be there in heaven with him. But let me bring you this right now. You know, lately God's been speaking to me a lot about learning to live in his presence every day. That this kind of life that we're heading toward, that the goal, you know, God is bringing us to, that can actually start now, you guys. That can actually happen now. Now, it's not going to be so much as when we're actually there in heaven with God. But as I spoke to you about the Holy Spirit, that's God. In our lives, think about that, yeah? The temple of the Spirit, God living in us, oh, it's hard to understand. But through Christ making us righteous, God can do that. The Holy Spirit can do that. And so, I've been hearing a lot lately from the Lord. God is calling us. God is calling you to a life that is having constant communion with Him. That you would sense his presence more in your life. God is, I should say, training you to find him in every moment, every challenge, every trial, every, every, every even failure on your part. God is wanting us to learn what that means to have the presence of God in our lives. God is asking you to to be still so that you can find His peace, even when things are hard, even when there's so much stuff going on. Listen, you know what a good day is, actually? It's, It's not so much that everything's going okay. A good day is when you have stayed in touch with God. That's a good day. 
So think about that one. Think about that. And learn to practice the presence of God in your life. It can start now. What, are, what the goal is going to be for our salvation in this final heaven, the presence of God, it can start today. Let's, let's do that. So that's what it's going to be for those going to heaven, to this final destination. Let's go to number two now, the family inheritance. And this is verse 7 for those of you taking notes, the family inheritance. Now, verse 7, take a look here. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. This is really beautiful. Now, Jesus says the one who conquers. Now, you know what that's talking about? That's talking about believers. It's speaking about those who come in faith in Christ. Those who have overcome sin and its consequences of death. Those who are saved. How when we receive Jesus in our life, we're free. Yeah, We're freed of our, the bondage of sin and we're giving victory and we're made new creations and we can grow and find more and more victory from that. The, the habitual sins and the sins in our life. So everyone who is born of God has overcome and even overcome the world, First John 5, 4 says. So then believers, those overcomers, those who have overcome sin and uh, through Christ Jesus, so believers, Jesus says now in verse 7, will have this heritage. The word heritage, we can say, is inheritance. What inheritance? What is this? Well, what he's been talking about. What's been being shown by John from verse 1, right? This heaven, this final heaven, this life with God. And how does that work? What's going on? Well, this life in heaven, verse 7, Jesus says, I will be his God and he will be my son. In other words, we're going to belong there, and God will belong to us, and we're going to belong to God. And so all of this, amazingly, as he calls us, you will be my son or my daughter, is saying, you're going to be my child. You're going to be in my family. You're going to belong, and we're going to belong to each other. So the idea is, this heaven is your inheritance you're given to enjoy as children of God. That's what he's putting out here. You know, I think about Paul's prayer for uh, the Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, uh, in the middle of the prayer, he wrote this, Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in in the saints. So, Jesus announces here, everything, in verse 6, everything in this eternal home is all yours to enjoy, for this is yours, the family inheritance. You're going to belong to God. He's going to belong to you. Jesus is saying, you're going to be my child. You're going to be my son. You're going to be my daughter. This is your inheritance. Think about it this way. Sometimes I hear some comments about um, some young person, you know, oh, you know that that guy? Oh, he's a trust fund baby, yeah? Right? I mean, we said that before, yeah? 
Yeah, he's trust fund. Oh, he has all this money, the parents, you know, and he has all this money. And we usually think, oh, trust fund baby. Oh, he's like this young person who's retired and doing whatever they like, you know, yeah, with, with this trust fund. And you see this person living this life, enjoying life, you know, you're working hard, you know, but they get all this money, they get all these things, they could do anything. Well, in a way, that's going to be us as believers. We're going to be enjoying all that there is in heaven. We're going to be giving, be given all of it for us to spend eternity in, Yeah. Think about it this way. This is your heavenly trust fund. You know, kind of like that. Yeah? Yeah. Think about it. No have to pay. Yeah? You don't have to work, you know, for this. It's just there. Because you're a part of this family and what God has uh, for, for you is, is His. He has all the riches and glory and He's going to give it to you. And you know what I like to think about? I like to think about how all these eternal things are not limited, remember, to time and space. We're in this eternal realm now. There's no aging, no decay like we talked about. It will never go bad. It'll, it'll never be like, you, you won't be able to spend it all. Yeah, It's not going to like disappear on you. I like um, Henry Morris wrote this in his commentary in Revelation. He said, the infinite resources... Limitless in space and unheeding in time are His, that is talking about believers, in the ages to come. You always dreamed of being rich? (laughs) You're going to (laughs) be. You're going to be a king's kid. Yeah. You're going to be rich in heaven and glory. So as we struggle here, look ahead. Yeah to what is coming. You're going to have the family in inheritance and you're going to be enjoying that. All right, number three, our last heading here this morning, the faithful warning. So we've seen the final destination, the family inheritance, and now the faithful warning. Verse 8, But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Now, we come to this last verse for this morning, and Jesus takes a moment, I believe, to reach out to those who are not the overcomers. In contrast to the ones he's been talking to, like he mentioned in verse 6, the overcomers. Those who have not over, you know, overcome their sin, they've been overcome with their sin, I should say, and who have not made the decision to be freed of their sin and putting their faith in Christ. So I feel like Jesus calls out at this moment to anyone who would hear, anyone who may read this account, even right now, anyone on connected online who is listening to this account of heaven and studying and thinking studying and thinking wow look at that look at that and Jesus making sure they don't get the wrong idea even thinking maybe they'll make it maybe they will be there but Jesus says no way no way and he's reaching out reaching out in grace here so Jesus puts out this list of those who will not be there to enjoy this life in heaven they are not saved, the, those that are described in this list. So, first he lists here 
the cowardly, or we can say the fearful. Now, it, the idea here is this. It seems like the truly saved and those who believe in Jesus will endure, will be the overcomers. But there are those who aren't truly saved, who their faith will not endure, like when things get hard or they're shame for their faith, or living to please man more than God. You remember like the seed that fell on the ground in Matthew 24? Uh, they received the word with joy, but because of their shallow roots, as trouble comes, they fall away. Or I think about in 1 John 2.19, where he wrote, They went out from us, but they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. So the fearful is those who seem to cowardly to fear the world, pleasing man, more than obeying God. Second here, he lists in verse 8, is the faithless. And this is basically talking about unbelieving, the unbelievers, those who, who, who do not believe in the truth of Jesus, the word of God, salvation that we've been talking about. You know, those who, who even may believe God in God, but not believe. In other words, they don't really come to a saving faith in Christ Jesus. James 2.19 talks about that. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Yeah, you can say, well, I believe in God, and so I'm going to heaven. But the demons, Satan believes in God too. They have not embraced Jesus as their Savior, so they're not going to heaven, right? So you can say, I believe in God and going to heaven. No, you have to embrace Jesus and put your faith in him. Third is the detestable or corrupted. It speaks of, of those who are being caught up with sin and evil and wickedness. Uh, it's, it, it really speaks about the idea is like being into wicked and bad things. And practically like enjoying it. Yeah? You enjoy the sin. You love the darkness more than the light, John chapter 3. Uh, uh, and so you reject the light. Of Christ. Fourth is murderers, or we understand that, killers. You know, I thought it was an interesting article I came across that the U.S. is experiencing the largest ever recorded increase in murders, according to the FBI. A national, the national murder rate is rising nearly 30%, the biggest jump in 60 years. And I saw a similar report just yesterday on the news, too. And, and they were just talking about the last two years. They're saying that the murder rate is going up. It's getting worse around the country. You know what? I just see it as this and as we understand. And if, if you watch the news, if you've been watching things, the world is getting darker and darker as it moves away more and more from God. So no wonder these things are happening. If you think about it, isn't that how our life is? When we move away from God, the darker things come in and encroach in us and you know like weeds coming up yeah into our lives well fifth is sexually immoral uh that's fornication adultery any sexual activity outside of marriage of a man and wife six is sorcerers they're not in 
this place to enjoy heaven. Or we can say drug abusers. In the Greek, pharmakos is the word for sorcerers, where we get pharmacy from. And most commentators believe this refers to those who use and abuse drugs. See, back then, in ancient time, there would be these cults where they take drugs to get more uh, uh, closer to their gods and, and be more spiritual in that way. And so those who abuse and are into and consistently into, uh, where the drugs become more important than anything else, especially Jesus, they will not be able to enjoy heaven. Seventh here, he lists, is idolaters, those who worship false gods, uh, those who worship basically anything, any other thing than God, is idolatry if you think about it, yeah? If you give honor to any other uh, thing, person, uh, whatever, religion, being, anything other than God, other than Jesus, it is idolatry, and that's what the first commandment talks about. And that idolatry actually keeps you from salvation in Jesus. Now, don't automatically think you're okay on this because, well, I come church, yeah? I come here and I'm not into some weird cult or some pagan ritual, you know? Don't, I'm, I'm okay. But I ask you to check your heart this morning, as we're talking about idolatry, I'm not saying you're not saved, but what I'm saying is that are you allowing something to distract you from Jesus? Are you allowing something to come in between you and your love for Jesus? Perhaps it's a hobby, perhaps it's a sport. Perhaps it's, it, it's something in your life that you're really into, you know. Perhaps it's, it's, it's buying something, something materialistic. Maybe your car. Sometimes I'm like that, <laughs> you know. Or could it be someone? Are we compromising, yeah? To be with someone when you know, ah, I'm not sure if that's the right thing. That's idolatry, yeah. Remember, our feelings and emotions can betray us. Yeah. It can. And understand, feelings are real. Our emotions are real. But they don't have to control us. We want to take every thought captive yeah, in obedience to Christ. We want to take our emotions, that that so many times are connected more to our flesh, yeah? And we want, we're, we're, we're like driven or, or controlled. But it, it may be real. But it may not be right. And you should not let that control you and become your idol. You know, I was thinking about how I want Jesus to have the throne, you know, of my heart. And I, I want Jesus to be the center. And, and, and it's like that love was planted in the garden of my heart. Yeah? But sometimes there's weeds there competing, yeah? My pride. Yeah? Sometimes worry distract me from God. Yeah? Sometimes my own expectations. Self. What I like to do. Yeah? 
my emotions. There are weeds coming up. Sometimes there's those big weeds that grown into this bush and a tree, yeah? And they've been there a long time, and God's dealing with you right now to, to yank it out, and it's hard. Because He wants to get those idols out of your life. Maybe it's a dream, maybe it's a goal, whatever that is. I'm thinking, we've been saved from that. And God wants you free of that. Because these here we're reading about, they can't because they don't have Jesus. And then eight is all liars, the last thing here on the list, or those who habitually lie. As is every item on the list, understand it's liars, those who consistently practice these sins and this sin of lying. Though it only shows if you're habitually lying that you don't care what God thinks. Yeah, and it, and it shows you're not really saved. You don't you don't you haven't conquered. Yeah, you haven't been freed by Jesus. You don't have uh, uh, that saving faith. Now I know we all have struggles and we have some habitual sins we're dealing with. Uh, um, so don't get caught up in well I don't know if I'm saved or not. We're talking about those who have rejected Christ. Uh, you know what I think is is the real key is are we continually going on with it and not caring about it. Think about what Jesus said in John 8. Jesus told the Pharisees that they were of your father the devil because the character of the devil is lying. That's what Jesus says. You're of the, your father the devil. That's what, and because he's the father of lies. That's what Jesus told these Pharisees. Yeah, pretty straightforward. But what is that saying? The Pharisees don't care about lying. They're not struggling at not lying. They don't care at all. And they habitually go on and on and on with that. And so it could be that indication. All right, last thing here is that uh, Jesus says, and all um, their portion, everyone in this list, will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. So Jesus here really is graciously warning and he's faithful to, to call out to people and help them, shake them up to see what they're doing because their destination is going to be different. Those who habitually live and not care about living in this way, in this list, they're going to be uh, not included with those going to heaven, but their portion. They will have a share of spending eternity in the lake of fire and sulfur. That's like the brimstone and sulfur, the burning, the suffering part. This is the final hell that we talked about even in the last chapter. It's the same place we saw in Revelation 20.14 that the devil is thrown in, that the Antichrist and the false prophet has been thrown in. And this is what we saw already. Jesus says in verse 8, it's called the second death. Do you remember? The second death. The first death is our physical death. It's a consequence of sin. We're separated from the body. Uh, the second death is, is the sentence uh, from the judgment of our sins. We're separated from God. That's the second death. And we talked about that in the last chapter. So our last point here is Jesus, he reaches out with the faithful warning with hopes people will turn from their sins and find salvation in him. That's his heart here. I mean, because think about it. In the middle of all this talk of wonderful heaven and everything, all of a sudden there's this talk of hell. Why? Because Jesus is warning and calling people to repentance, to truly know 
Jesus today. Because this final heaven, if you don't have Jesus, you know what? This is your destination, the lake of fire. But you have Jesus, he's going to go on about the new Jerusalem, about heaven. W.T. Parker said, the future belongs to those who belong to God. I like that. This is hope, you guys. That's the hope. Listen, no matter where you are at today, no matter maybe how far gone you feel, there is hope in Jesus. There is hope for the only one who can change you and free you and help you. Hear that today. If, if, if everything else we talked about today, what we studied, just hear this. There is hope in Jesus because Jesus is in the business of changing lives. Yeah? He's the one. If you feel so frustrated with yourself or you feel like a failure and you feel like you're not worth anything, know this, that you are worth something because Jesus died on a cross for you and there's hope in Him that He can change you and help you. He can forgive you, restore you and be there right with you no matter the struggles you having. You know what I like? In 1 Corinthians 6, 9-10, through 10, um, Paul listed sort of a similar list and some other things of those who, who he says they will not inherit the kingdom of God. But then in verse 11 of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he writes this, and this is hope. And such were some of you. Isn't that awesome? You're not like that anymore because of Jesus. Such were some of you understand that. Whatever struggles you're going, whatever habitual sins, whatever that is, if you're in Christ, He's bringing you out of that. He's freeing you. Yeah? He's going to bring victory into your life. Jesus died for your sins. Jesus died so we can go on and live for Him in this life here and go on to reach our destination in the new heaven. And you know what the great thing is as we close up? It's yours in Christ. Yeah. It, 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 even if you feel like you don't deserve it. Yeah. Even if you're thinking, how can I be one of those going to heaven? It's not on you. Right? It's about what Christ has done for you. It's about His work. Not relying on you. On your performance. But on relying and believing, really, and putting faith on Christ's work on the cross. I'll close with this. One woman asked the pastor, Sir, I wonder what work of man will be in heaven? None, said the pastor. No work of man. It will be all God's. She replied, But wait, there has to be something. Can you tell me, please, what work will be recognized in heaven? It was kind of like, Oh, I got to do something. Yeah. Then the pastor thought for a moment and said, Well, you know what? You're right. There is but one work that will be seen in heaven. But only this will be recognized. That is the nail prints on the hands and feet of the Lord Jesus. That will be the only work of man that will be recognized. I love that. I love that. Jesus has done it all for us. And he will be the one bringing us into this heaven that you and I can enjoy. Everything that we've been studying these past weeks. It's God's grace 
that is there from eternity past. Isn't that a great thought? His grace was for us from eternity past, and it will be the end there into the future eternity. This heaven will be for those going to heaven. Let's pray. Lord, in all of our struggles and all of our failures and all of our trials and troubles and challenges, God, that we go through, there's one thing, God, that we know that you are there. And you are there for us because of your grace. And you are there because of your love, God. And how do we know that? We know that because of the truth in your word that tells us so, Lord. And we know that because you proved yourself when you died on a cross for all of our sins, Lord. When you sacrificed your body so that we may be saved. So that we can be forgiven. So that we can have a relationship with you. So that we can be restored. And what you have designed every human being to have is that to be close in fellowship with you. God, thank you that as we move into this time of communion, we are reminded of that very fact that you love us so much. And I pray for anyone here struggling with that, struggling with uh, putting their view on you of how they grew up. Maybe how they grew up, love was more conditional, conditioned to the performance, the work that was done the pleasing that had to be done first in order to receive love. But God, your love is agape. It's unconditional. And you love us by your grace, Lord. You just love us, Lord, unconditionally. God, we want to melt in that love, melt into your hands, fall into your arms, Lord, right now. And I pray for anyone struggling that as we come before you now, and we remember what you've done on the cross, that they would feel and sense your presence and feel and sense that love. Thank you, Jesus, for your assurances. Thank you that there is hope in you that heaven is in our future. In Jesus' name, amen. At this time, we're going to be worshiping the Lord. And as we worship, uh, I want you guys to... Well, get your elements ready. You can peel the, the top layer, the clear one, and get the bread ready. And then after, you'll be prompted with the cup. We're going to do it one at a time. Um, Pastor Lane, uh, uh, he's going to be uh, praying and administering the, the bread. And then Pastor Stephen's going to come up and do the cup. But as we worship the Lord, as we come before him, you know, whatever's going on right now, whatever's going on, between you and God, make right. Bring your sins before the foot of the cross right now. Make right with God. Confess and seek his forgiveness. And as you partake of the elements, let that be not only an opportunity for the Spirit to come and you, you to feel his forgiveness, but for you to commit your life to him and to honor Jesus with these elements for all that he's done for you. And, as I pray, be reminded that the greatest example or uh, proof, I should say, of God's love is when Christ died on the cross. He loves you. He loves you so much. Let's worship Him. <laughs> 